Good morning. Good to see you this morning. Genesis chapter 7 this morning as we continue our Sunday morning series on the life of Noah. While you're finding that, just a reminder, we've been having great turnouts for our first two Bible studies of the year on Wednesday night, and I'm hoping and praying that that will continue. So, Wednesday night, 7 o'clock over in the cafeteria, we would love to have you if you are able to be there. Genesis chapter 7. There are four things I see in this chapter that I wanted to share with you this morning. I see a great flood. I see a great faith. I see a great refuge. And I see a great invitation. I want to first start with a great flood. There are many who have believed through the years that Noah's flood was a very localized event. It was not a universal flood. It was not really a great flood. Let me give you the truth of the Bible here this morning and why I believe it was a great flood and a universal flood. First of all, I want you to notice the language. Because if you can't trust the language that is used here to describe Noah's flood, then we really can't trust the Bible in any other area. We might as well just go, we don't believe what the Bible says if we don't believe what it says even about the flood. And you'll notice in chapter 7, verse 6, a phrase that recurs throughout the passage. The floodwaters engulfed the earth. You'll notice at the end of verse 10, the floodwaters engulfed the earth. Then a third time, verse 17, the flood engulfed the earth. In fact, in verse 10, it says the waters completely inundated the earth. So the first thing we have here is the language. It says what it says and the only way to say, well, it's localized is to somehow change the Hebrew language of Genesis chapter 7. But we also have a couple other factors here. You have the depth of the flood, which we started reading about in verse 10, and I'd like to continue. Go back to verse 10 of chapter 7 and look at the depth of the flood as described by the Bible. The waters completely inundated the earth so that even all the high mountains... Under the entire sky were covered. The waters rose more than 20 feet above the mountains. So you have the language, you have the depth of the flood, then you have the duration of the flood. If you compare the date that Noah went into the ark and the waters started to, to come in chapter 7, verse 11, and then you go over to chapter 8, which we'll be in next week, and look at verses 13 and 14, you come to the conclusion that the entire span of the flood was 371 days. That's a long time for a localized flood. In fact, we have just seen even very recently, even in California, how in just a couple of days, 
the waters can do so much damage. We also have described here in chapter 7 the geology of the flood, if you will. In verse 11, it says that on that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst open and the floodgates of the heavens were opened as well. So you'll notice there that God is telling us, I actually brought water from two directions, from both directions. I believe that before the flood, that the earth was enveloped with a canopy, a vapor-like canopy that prevented the ultraviolet light and all that from coming in. I think that's one of the main reasons why people lived much longer lifespans than they did after the flood. I think God broke open that canopy and obviously... The flood waters came from above. But you'll notice also in verse 11, the Bible tells us that God also brought the waters up from the earth as well. He literally cracked open the earth and brought up the water. So that the water was literally coming again, sort of sandwiching, if you will, the earth. In fact, the language here, in verse 11, is utter, utterly cataclysmic. It is catastrophic in its description of the great flood. Then you even have the size of the ark itself, which we looked at last week back in chapter 6, verses 15 and 16 and 17. You see, if it wasn't a universal flood, then an ark would not have been the proper answer. Migration would have been the answer. All God would have had to do if it was a localized flood is just tell Noah, you and your family need to move to this area over here. It might take you a year, but it took Noah 120 years to build the ark. So, so it took a year or two for them to move somewhere else. That would have been the answer. Migration, just move. But if it covers the entire earth, then migration isn't the answer no matter where Noah and his family moves to. The only answer is the ark. And then finally, you have Jesus' words himself in the New Testament. Where Jesus connects the flood to a picture of the universal judgment that is coming on the earth when he returns. As it was in the days of Noah, Jesus says, so it will be in the days when the Son of Man returns. And Jesus there is not describing something that's going to happen locally. He's describing something where the Bible says every eye will see him. Something that is universal. And you have all these reasons, all this truth out of the Bible to remind us that the flood of Noah was a great flood. Now, we're going to come back to why it's important to even stress that this morning in just a moment. But before we do that, I also want us to see this great faith that is displayed here by Noah himself. The very last verse of chapter 6 we looked at last week reminded us of the obedience of Noah. And Noah did all that God commanded him, he did indeed. And this is also, again, re-emphasized in chapter 7, where it says in verse 5, And Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. 
Noah here is being shown throughout as a devoted, committed servant of the Lord. One who displayed great faith, great trust, great confidence in what God was telling him. In fact, the New Testament picks up on this in the book of Hebrews, where the writer of Hebrews tells us, By faith, Noah, having been warned of things not yet seen, moved with reverence, constructed an ark for the deliverance of his family. And through faith, he condemned the world becoming an heir of righteousness, which is by faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 7 and 8. You see, Noah had never seen a flood. Noah had probably never even seen rain, at least the kind of rain that was coming. He was there on dry ground, and God tells him, I want you to build this barge, if you will. And it took him 120 years to do it. Can you imagine the faith that it took as he spent all that time of his life? God, are you sure about this? And then getting, you know, ridiculed and mocked and scoffed at and made fun of, I'm sure, all those years. No, what are you doing? There's not going to be any judgment coming. There's not going to be anything called a flood. Doesn't it remind us of what Peter said and why Peter even connects the attitude of the people and inhabitants of the world with the days of Noah when he says, there's going to be these mockers and scoffers who just like in the days of Noah were saying, where's the promise of his coming, Jesus? Everything remains just as it always did. There's no God and even if there was, there's not going to be any judgment. So we see the great faith that it took Noah, especially amongst his contemporaries, because we know that the Bible tells us that Noah and his family were the only ones that had the faith to get into the ark. It wasn't like he had a lot of support and encouragement around him. He pretty much did it on his own because he trusted in the Lord. You and I are called to have faith in God, to respond in faith, to trust Him and what He has revealed and what He has said, to put our full confidence in Him. Faith is never blind in the Bible. Faith is always a response that is called upon by God to His people to simply trust Him in what he has already said or what he has already done. And he gives us plenty of evidence, plenty of proof, plenty of assurance to put our trust there. You see, for 480 years, because that's how old Noah was when he started building the ark, he and God had a relationship. And we learned last week that Noah was a godly man and a, and a wholehearted man when it came to the things of God. And, and he walked with God. Therefore, he knew that he could trust the Lord. He had that experience in his own personal relationship. 
And God asks us to do the same thing. Walk with me, God says, and I will show you that I can be trusted. Step out by faith and you will see that my word will always be proved true. So we see here a great faith. But again, a great faith means nothing if it can't be placed in the right direction or in the right object. Which leads me to the next thing we see here, which is a great refuge. And that refuge is where God himself provided Noah and his family with this ark. See, God is not a God that is just sitting back, detached, doesn't care about... He sees and he also provides. And he provided Noah with the... the, the, the instructions and, and how to construct and build this ark that would save he and his family. And he would preserve them through the greatest of floods. And he would protect them. In fact, I love what the Bible says in verse 16 at the end. After Noah and his family and all the animals went in, the Bible says, then the Lord shut him in. It means God literally sealed him inside of that ark, inside of his care, inside of his safety, inside of his protection. God sealed him. And we know that this was a great refuge because the Bible tells us in verse 18, that the waters completely inundated the earth and overwhelmed the earth, but the ark floated on the surface of the waters. The waters of judgment literally took the life out of everything that breathed on the planet, but Noah and his family were in this great refuge, this ark that God had provided for them. And they were safe. In fact, the Bible reminds us in verse 23 at the very end that only Noah and those who were with him in the ark survived. That was it. Because they were in this great refuge called the ark. And that's why it's important for us to emphasize the greatness of the flood. Because then it accentuates and magnifies the greatness of the refuge that God supplied for the great flood. And it reminds us then, even for us today, that when the flood waters or the waters begin to rise in our life, and guess what? At some point, they will. The waters will begin to rise in our life. Some circumstance, some situation, something beyond our control, something that gets our complete attention. It's going to come into our life. And where are we going to turn when the floodwaters and the waters rise in our life? To whom are we going to turn? And unless we believe that God is a refuge for us, even when the waters are at their highest, then maybe we won't turn to Him as our refuge. And we won't trust in him as our refuge. 
And we won't believe that his refuge that he offers to us is truly adequate to protect and preserve and keep us safe and stable throughout whatever flood we may be going through. As I shared last week, the, the ark that God instructed Noah to build was not primarily built for speed or maneuverability. It was simply built for stability. It was to just preserve Noah and his family through the flood. And that's the way God does in our lives. He many times doesn't keep us from the rising waters or from if you will, the great storms that are going to come into our life. But he does always provide for us that ark, that place of refuge. In fact, he calls upon his people to make him our refuge. Psalm 46, verse 1. God is our strong refuge. He is truly our helper in times of trouble. Proverbs 18.10, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are set safely on high. Some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God, Psalm 20, verse 7. Over and over and over again, the word of God reminds us that God is our refuge. And has provided for us all the refuge we need when the waters begin to rise in our life. In fact, we see the waters rising in verse 20. The waters rose more than 20 feet above the mountains. I guarantee you, at some point in your life, you will face rising waters. And the question is, To whom or where will you turn when those waters rise? That's why we have so many sad stories today of people who turn to so many other things to try to cope and manage when the waters begin to rise in their life. Or why they even take their own life. Because they are not coming to rest in the refuge that they have in the Lord. Very interestingly too, Noah's name literally means rest. To repose, if you will. And that's what Noah did by faith. He trusted in the great refuge that God had provided for him and said, God, I will trust. I will go into this ark. In fact, as you read chapter 7, one of the other things that's emphasized over and repeated over and over again is that Noah and his family entered the ark. You're like, well, yeah. But, But understand that God can provide a refuge, but you and I have to be willing to enter it in order to benefit from it. And so many people today are like, well, yeah, I, I, I know God's there and all that kind of stuff, but have you truly entered into the ark? And do you believe that no matter how high the waters will rise in your life, 
And they will rise at some point. No matter what great storms you may be called upon to go through, do you trust and have confidence and believe that God is your place of refuge? Because if He's not, then you obviously will turn to someone else or something else when those storms and waters come into your life. And all I can tell you is, whatever else you are turning to, other than the Lord, is not going to provide you, preserve you, or protect you from those waters. You will be overwhelmed. You will be overwhelmed. So we've seen this great flood and we've seen this great faith displayed by Noah and we've seen this great refuge in the ark that God provided, but there's one other great thing I saw in this passage. And that is a great invitation. Because you'll notice in chapter 7, verse 1, the very first words of this chapter are these. The Lord said to Noah, come into the ark. Do you realize that this is the first invitation in the Bible? Genesis 7-1 is the first invitation in the Bible. God says, now Noah, come in to the ark. Again, it would have done Noah and his family any good at all to have built this ark, looked at it, been real proud of the work that they did. You know, wow, that's a, that's a nice big ark there. Look how pretty that ark is. If they would have never come in to the ark. It's not the last invitation in the Bible. In fact, it's the first of many. In the New Testament, you hear Jesus say, Come to me, all you who are wearied and weighed down, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and my load is not hard to carry. Later on in his ministry, he stood up on the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles. A feast that, that really centered on water. Water played a prominent theme in the Feast of Tabernacles. So it was very, again, uh, appropriate for Jesus on the last day of the feast, the Bible says in the Gospel of John, that he stood up. And he said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me. Let the one who believes in me drink. In the very last book of the Bible, in the very last chapter of the Bible, in some of the last verses of the Bible, we also have a great invitation where John writes, and let the Spirit and the Bride say, Come. And let the one who hears say, Come. 
And let the one who is thirsty come and take the water of life free of charge. Over and over again, God says throughout his word, I'm inviting people. I'm asking you to come to me. I am your refuge. I am your strength. I am your helper in times of trouble. You see, for Noah, God provided this huge boat, this ark that would save him and his family and the animals that got on it. But in our day, God has provided an ark for us as well. His name is Jesus Christ. He is our ark. And God says, if you will trust my son and you will come into him and you will establish a relationship with him, I guarantee you, God said, you'll be saved from judgment. Because my son took that judgment upon himself when he died on the cross for all sin. And because of my son, and you now being literally in my son, you'll be safe. You'll be preserved. You will be ultimately protected. It doesn't mean that Christians... Followers of Jesus Christ won't have to go through storms. It doesn't mean we won't have high water and rising water experiences in our life. We absolutely will. We will be no different than anybody else. But we will have a refuge. We will have the refuge. And just like Noah, it may get a little rocky... The storms and the, and the wind and the waves may toss us back and forth a little bit. But ultimately, God will bring us through. And one day, God said, I will bring you to myself. So that where I am, there you may be also. We live in a a day and age where the waters are rising. Where people constantly live in fear. Where they lack the security and the stability and the peace of mind that only God can bring to a human being. And God is saying today to human beings, even through a story as old as Noah and the flood, that great flood, that waters will rise. But if you put your faith in the refuge that I have provided, that I myself am, you can be preserved and protected and sealed within me. And you will be able to rise above the rising waters that come into your life. And so God is simply, I think, giving out that invitation once again. And I think before Jesus comes back, 
God is going to allow opportunity for men and women and young people to respond one more time to his great invitation to come into the ark of Jesus Christ before Jesus comes back. Will you respond? Will you come into the ark? I'm going to ask you right now to remain seated. But I'd like to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. This is a very important question I'm about to ask. With heads bowed, eyes closed here this morning. Is there anyone here this morning that would say, Pastor Jeff, I have never entered the ark of Jesus Christ in my life. I have never truly trusted in Jesus Christ as my personal Savior, my personal ark, if you will. I don't have that security and stability that I see in others who have Jesus in their life. I don't have that peace of mind or lack of fear that I see in other Christ followers. But Pastor Jeff, God has brought me to a point this morning through His Word and through the moving of His Spirit And I know, I know that I need to come into the ark of Jesus Christ. I need to respond. It's not enough to know that it's out there. I have to be willing to personally trust in it enough to get in and come in to the ark. So today... With heads bowed and eyes closed, is there anyone here this morning that would say, Pastor Jeff, I would like to come into the ark of Jesus this morning. I would like to know for sure that Jesus is my personal Savior and that my life is preserved and protected and sealed by God and that though the waters of my life may rise ultimately I know that I will have a refuge in God unlike any other refuge I could ever choose to turn to if that is how you want to respond this morning would you just raise your hand and just keep it up for just a second anyone at all Thank you. Anyone else? Then that means that the majority of folks here today either aren't ready to respond to that decision or that means you've already come into the ark. But maybe... 
Even though you're in the ark, your faith is shaky. Maybe as you ride in this ark and the waters are rising and the waves are crashing and the the storm clouds are forming, you're starting to get uneasy and anxious and worried and fretting and fearful. And maybe your response today would be like it was for the gentleman in the Bible who says, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. I'm struggling right now to trust and, and believe and have confidence in the ark in which I am in, that it's going to be okay. And that you're going to provide for me and you're going to protect me and you're going to preserve me through all that I am going through in my life. If maybe that's where you are and you simply need prayer and need encouragement and need strengthening in your walk with the Lord today, would you raise your hand, please, and just keep it for a second. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You may put those down. One other thing, before we sing our last song this morning, if any of you would be courageous enough and strong enough before all of us stand to stand for this reason, if you choose to stand before the rest of us stand, You are standing to say, Lord, I'd like to have some of my brothers and sisters gather around me this morning and pray with me or pray for me. And I'm willing to do that. I'm willing to express that before you, God, and before my brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm I'm standing to ask for the privilege of having my brothers and sisters to gather around me. And we've done that before here. It's not anything totally new, but today I just felt led to ask for that. Would you just stand wherever you are? Just stand. That's all you have to do. Stand up. Thank you. Anyone. As you are around people who maybe have stood up, I'm going to ask you as their brothers and sisters in Christ that while we are singing this last song, would you gather around them, just a couple of you, and just pray with them and pray for them and encourage them and strengthen them as it is our privilege as brothers and sisters in Christ to do. Could we stand, please? This last song is, Lord, I Need You. What an appropriate song to sing. May we make the words of this song a commitment and dedication of our heart to the Lord. Say, God, I've been trying to go through these high waters and these these storms on my own. I have truly not rested in the ark that you have provided. But God, I'm coming 
And I'm like Noah. I'm going to come into the ark and I'm going to rest in the great refuge that is you and your word. And I'm going to trust you like never before. So let's sing this song unto the Lord this morning.